Part 1, Chapter 11 of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by William Jones. Chapter 11 Select Incidents of Lawful Trade. In this chapter of Uncle Tom's Cabin were recorded some of the most highly wrought and touching incidents of the slave trade. It will be well to authenticate a few of them. One of the first sketches presented to view is an account of the separation of a very old, decrepit negro woman from her young son by a sheriff's sale. The writer is sorry to say that not the slightest credit for invention is due to her in this incident, she found it almost exactly as it stands in the published journal of a young southerner related as a scene to which he was eye-witness. The only circumstance which she has omitted in the narrative was one of additional inhumanity and painfulness which he had delineated. He represents the boy as being bought by a planter who fetters his hands and tied a rope around his neck which he attached to the neck of his horse thus compelling the child to trot by his side this incident alone was suppressed by the author another scene of fraud and cruelty in the same chapter is described as perpetrated by a kentucky slave master who sells a woman to a trader and induces her to go with him by the deceitful assertion that she is to be taken down the river a short distance to work at the same hotel with her husband this was an instance which occurred under the writer's own observation some years since when she was going down the ohio river the woman was very respectable both in appearance and dress the writer recalls her image now with distinctness attired with great neatness in a white wrapper her clothing and hair all arranged with evident care and having with her a prettily dressed boy about seven years of age she also had a hair trunk of clothing which showed that she had been carefully and respectfully brought up it will be seen in perusing the account that the incident is somewhat altered to suit the purpose of the story the woman being there represented as carrying with her a young infant. The custom of unceremoniously separating the infant from its mother, when the latter is about to be taken from a northern to a southern market, is a matter of everyday notoriety in the trade. It is not done occasionally and sometimes, but always, whenever there is an occasion for it. And the mother's agonies are no more regarded than those of a cow when her calf is separated from her the reason of this that the care and raising of children is no part of the intention or provision of a southern plantation they are a trouble they distract from the value of the mother as a field hand and it is more expensive to raise them than to buy them ready raised they are therefore left behind in the making up of a coffle. Not longer than last summer, the writer was conversing with Thomas Struther, 
a slave minister of the gospel in st louis for whose emancipation she was making some effort he incidentally mentioned to her a scene which he had witnessed but a short time before in which a young woman of his acquaintance came to him almost in a state of distraction telling him that she had been sold to go to the south with a traitor and leave behind her a nursing infant in lewis clark's narrative he mentions that a master in his neighborhood sold a woman and child to a trader with the charge that he should not sell the child from its mother the man however traded off the child in the very next town in payment of his tavern bill the following testimony is from a gentleman who writes from new orleans to the national era the writer says start of narrative while at robinson or tyree springs twenty miles from nashville on the borders of kentucky and tennessee my hostess said to me one day yonder comes a gang of slaves chained i went to the roadside and viewed them for the better answering of my purpose of observation i stopped the white man in front who was at his ease in a one-horse wagon and asked him if those slaves were for sale i counted them and observed their position they were divided by three one-horse wagons each containing a man merchant so arranged as to command the whole gang some were unchained sixty were chained in two companies thirty in each the right hand of one to the left hand of the other opposite one making fifteen each side of a large ox chain to which every hand was fastened and necessarily compelled to hold up men and women promiscuously and about in equal proportions all young people no children here except a few in a wagon behind which were the only children in the four gangs i said to a respectable mulatto woman in the house is it true that the negro traders take mothers from their babies massa it is true for here last week such a girl naming her who lives about a mile off was taken after dinner knew nothing of it in the morning sold put into the gang and her baby was given away to a neighbor she was a stout young woman and brought a good price end of narrative nor is the pitiful lie to be regarded which says that these unhappy mothers and fathers husbands and wives do not feel when the most sacred ties are thus severed every day and hour bears living witness of the falsehood of this slander the more false because spoken of a race peculiarly affectionate and strong vivacious and vehement in the expression of their feelings the case which the writer supposed of the woman's throwing herself overboard is not by any means a singular one witness the following recent fact which appeared under the head of start of article another incident for uncle tom's cabin the editorial correspondent of the oneida new york telegraph writing from a steamer on the mississippi river gives the following sad story at louisville a gentleman took passage having with him a family of blacks husband wife and children 
The master was bound for Memphis, Tennessee, at which place he intended to take all except the man ashore. The latter was handcuffed, and although his master said nothing of his intention, the negro made up his mind, from appearances as well as from the remarks of those around him, that he was destined for the southern market. We reached Memphis during the night, and whilst within sight of the town, just before landing, the negro caused his wife to divide their things, as though resigned to the intended separation, and then, taking a moment when his master's back was turned, ran forward and jumped into the river. Of course he sank, and his master was several hundred dollars poorer than a moment before. That was all. At least, scarcely any one mentioned it the next morning. I was obliged to get my information from the deckhands, and did not hear a remark concerning it in the cabin. In justice to the master, I should say, that after the occurrence he disclaimed any intention to separate them. Appearances, however, are quite against him, if I have been rightly informed. This sad affair needs no comment. It is an argument, however, that I might have used today, with some effect, whilst talking with a highly intelligent southerner of the evils of slavery. He had been reading Uncle Tom's Cabin, and spoke of it as a novel, which, like other romances, was well calculated to excite the sympathies by the recital of heart-touching incidents which never had an existence except in the imagination of the writer. End of article. Instances have occurred where mothers, whose children were about to be sold from them, have in their desperation murdered their own offspring to save them from the worst kind of orphanage. A case of this kind has been recently tried in the United States and was alluded to a week or two ago by Mr. Giddings in his speech on the floor of Congress. An American gentleman from Italy, complaining of the effect of Uncle Tom's Cabin on the Italian mind, states that images of fathers dragged from their families to be sold into slavery, and of babies torn from the breasts of weeping mothers, are constantly presented before the minds of the people as scenes of everyday life in America. The author can only say sorrowfully that it is only the truth which is thus presented. These things are, every day, part and parcel of one of the most thriving trades that is carried on in America. The only difference between us and foreign nations is that we have got used to it and they have not. The thing has been done and done again day after day and year after year, reported and lamented over in every variety of way, but it is going on this day with more briskness than ever before, and such scenes that we have described are enacted oftener as the author will prove when she comes to the chapter on the internal slave trade. The incident in this same chapter which describes the scene where the wife of the unfortunate article, catalogued as John, age thirty, rushed on board the boat and threw her arms around him with moans and lamentations was a real incident the gentleman who related it was so stirred in his spirit at the sight 
that he addressed the trader in the exact words which the writer represents the young minister as having used in her narrative quote, my friend how can you how dare you carry on a trade like this look at those poor creatures here i am rejoicing in my heart that i am going home to my wife and child and the same bell which is the signal to carry me onward towards them will part this poor man and his wife forever depend upon it god will bring you into judgment for this End quote. if that gentleman has read the work as perhaps he has before now he has probably recognized his own words one affecting incident in the narrative as it really occurred ought to be mentioned the wife was passionately bemoaning her husband's fate as about to be forever separated from all that he held dear to be sold to the hard usage of a southern plantation the husband in reply used that very simple but sublime expression which the writer has placed in the mouth of uncle tom in similar circumstances there'll be the same god there that there is here one other incident mentioned in uncle tom's cabin may perhaps be as well verified in this place as any other the case of old prue was related by a brother and sister of the writer as follows she was the woman who supplied rusks and other articles of the kind at the house where they boarded her manners appearance and character were just as described one day another servant came in her place bringing the rusks the sister of the writer inquired what had happened of prue she seemed reluctant to answer for some time but at last said that they had taken her into the cellar and beaten her and that the flies had got at her and she was dead it is well known that there are no cellars properly so called in new orleans the nature of the ground being such as to forbid digging the slave who used the word had probably been imported from some state where cellars were in use and applied the term to the place which was used for ordinary purposes of a cellar a cook who lived in the writer's family having lived most of her life on a plantation always applied the descriptive terms of the plantation to the very limited enclosures and retinue of a very plain house and yard the same lady while living in the same place used frequently to have her compassion excited by hearing the wailings of a sickly baby in a house adjoining their own as also the objurgations and tyrannical abuse of a ferocious virago upon its mother she once got an opportunity to speak to its mother who appeared heartbroken and dejected and inquired what was the matter with her child her answer was that she had had a fever and that her milk was all dried away and that her mistress was set against her child and would not buy milk for it she had tried to feed it on her own coarse food but it pined and cried continually and in witness of this she brought the baby to her it was emaciated to a skeleton the lady took the little thing to a friend of hers in the house who had been recently confined and who was suffering from a redundancy of milk and begged her to nurse it 
the miserable sight of the little famished wasted thing affected the mother so as to overcome all other considerations and she placed it to her breast when it revived and took food with an eagerness which showed how much it had suffered but the child was so reduced that this provided only a transient alleviation it was after this almost impossible to get sight of the woman and the violent temper of her mistress was such as to make it difficult to interfere in the case the lady secretly afforded what aid she could though as she confessed with a sort of misgiving that it was a cruelty to try to hold back the poor little sufferer from the refuge of the grave and it was a relief to her when at last its wailing ceased and it went where the weary are at rest this is one of those cases which go to show that the interest of the owner will not always ensure kind treatment of the slave there is one other incident which the writer interwove into the history of the mulatto woman who was bought by legree for his plantation the reader will remember that in telling her story to emmeline she says my master's mr ellis lived in levy street perhaps you seen him in the house was he good to you said emmeline mostly till he tuck sick he's lain sick off and on more than six months and has been awful uneasy pears like he wasn't willing to have nobody rest day nor night and got so curious there couldn't nobody suit him pears like he just grew crosser every day kept me up nights till i got fairly beat out and couldn't keep awake no longer and because i got to sleep one night lors he talked so awful to me and he tell me he'd sell me to just the hardest master he could find and he'd promised me my freedom too when he died an incident of this sort came under the author's observation in the following manner a quadroon slave family liberated by the will of the master settled on walnut hills near her residence and their children were received into her family school taught in her house in this family was a little quadroon boy four or five years of age with a sad dejected appearance who excited their interest the history of this child as narrated by his friends was simply this his mother had been the indefatigable nurse of her master during a lingering and painful sickness which at last terminated his life she had borne all the fatigue of the nursing both by night and by day sustained in it by his promise that she would be rewarded for it by her liberty at his death overcome by exhaustion and fatigue she one night fell asleep and he was unable to rouse her the next day after violently upbraiding her he altered the directions of his will and sold her to a man who was noted in all the region round as a cruel master which sale immediately upon his death was shortly after took effect the only mitigation of her sentence was that her child was not to be taken with her into this dreaded lot but was given to this quadroon family to be brought into a free state the writer very well remembers hearing this story narrated among a group of liberated negroes and their comments on it 
a particular form of grave and solemn irony often characterizes the communications of this class of people it is a habit engendered in slavery to comment upon the proceedings of this kind in language apparently respectful to the perpetrators and which is felt to be irony only by a certain peculiarity of manner difficult to describe after the relation of this story when the writer expressed her indignation in no measured terms one of the oldest of the sable circle remarked gravely that man was a mighty great christian anyhow the writer warmly expressed her dissent from this view when another of the same circle added went to glory anyhow and another continued had the greatest kind of time when he was a dying said he was going straight into heaven and when the writer remarked that many people thought so who never got there a singular smile of grim approval passed around the circle but no further comments were made this incident has often recurred to the writer's mind as showing the danger to the welfare of the master's soul from the possession of absolute power a man of justice and humanity when in health is often tempted to become unjust exacting and exorbitant in sickness if in these circumstances he is surrounded by inferiors from whom law and public opinion have taken away the rights of common humanity how is he tempted to the exercise of the most despotic passions and like this unfortunate man to leave the world with the weight of these awful words upon his head if ye forgive not men their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses end of part one chapter eleven select incidents of lawful trade